Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. A nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cooking Show podcast. I am your host, Bob, and I might sound a little weird, you know, because I'm a little under the weather. Uh, We've got a cold flu type of thing. But this week, let's see, what are we making? We are grilling a pizza. We're making a homemade pizza, and we're cooking it on the grill. So obviously, pizza's going to have a lot of components to it. Uh, I made three of the four components homemade, and one of them got a little messed up, but whatever. And then the fourth component... Uh, the pepperoni, I did use store-bought, but I've made hundreds, if not thousands of pounds of pepperoni in my life. I just didn't have any made and ready right now. And if I were to make it homemade, it would take, uh, I don't know, approximately six to eight weeks before it'd be ready to use on a pizza. And that is way too long when you got to put an episode out on Monday. (laughs) So, geez, Louise, let's start off with our well you know let's start off with the front matter you know when i'm almost 100 episodes into this i should remember every episode say check the show notes for the imager photo album step by step the plain text recipe and uh, links to special equipment or ingredients or whatever now without further ado we can move on to making our pizza and we're going to start off with a very simple pizza dough recipe. Now for this pizza recipe, theoretically, you could definitely turn this all out in one day. Like the um, the dough recipe, even though I made it ahead of time and let it like cold proof in the fridge overnight, basically just did that so that I didn't have to spend the entirety of one day making pizza components because, you know, making the sauce, making the mozzarella, well, you know, a little bit time consuming. So if I did the dough on one day, uh, I would have it ready for the following day. But I mean, the dough recipe, I think you can have it done in like two hours if you want to. And uh, the mozzarella, you can have it done in a half hour, theoretically. There's some caveats there. I messed mine up. It's not a big deal. It still turned into a cheese-like substance. And then uh, the sauce, if you're going to make homemade sauce, I mean, give yourself time because that's that's a process. I, I did make it homemade, but I didn't make a big bulk batch. Usually, if you're making homemade sauce, pizza sauce, but you got to use yeah. Pizza sauce, spaghetti sauce, whatever. You want to make a ton of it, like you know, ten gallons or something like that. Because if you're gonna put that time into it, you might as well have you know, six months or a year worth of sauce put up. But I was just doing this for the podcast, so I made uh, essentially the amount of sauce that I needed for, for that day. Okay, starting off here with our pizza dough recipe. Very simple, very straightforward. Some of these uh, measurements, well, I guess one of the measurements is a range. Three and a half to four cups of bread flour or all-purpose flour. You can use, if you want bread flour, higher protein content will be a little bit stretchy or whatever. I did four cups. So as a consequence for that, the water, you can add additional water a tablespoon at a time and you definitely will need to if you use four cups of bread flour. This dough recipe will produce enough dough to make like two 14, 16 inch pizza, something like that, depending on how thin you roll, you know, roll it out or toss it out or push it out or whatever. So four cups of flour, uh, a teaspoon of sugar, a tablespoon of dry active yeast, two teaspoons of kosher salt. You want to definitely use like kosher salt where it's pure 
sodium chloride, not like your Himalayan pink salt or any salt that or sea salt or whatever that would have uh, minerals in it because you don't want that tainting the dough, discoloring the dough or whatever. So two teaspoons of kosher salt, one and a half cups of warm water. And by warm, I mean 100 to 110 degrees and two tablespoons of olive oil. Now, on the t uh, subject of the water, at 100 to 110 degrees, we can just mix all this stuff together and the yeast will activate and they will start consuming the sugars in the flour and in the sugar itself or whatever, and it'll rise. It'll get all nice and billowy and pillowy and delicious. You don't have to, you know, uh, not proof, but activate the yeast in like your sugar water to begin with. This just makes it easier and it makes a nice vigorous uh, yeast bloom in your crust. So basically what we want to do is in the bowl of our stand mixer with the bread uh, dough hook attachment, we will combine the flour, the sugar, the yeast, the salt, and uh, get that all mixed together so it is evenly distributed, and then dump in our one and a half cups of water. Now, if you use four cups of bread flour, chances are you're going to need to add more water. I think the total added water that I, or the total water that I added was an additional, like, little bit less than a quarter of a cup. Oh, also, your two tablespoons of olive oil. Get that in there. Let that mix. Let that knead for, I did it like eight minutes. I didn't go the whole 12 and make it too, too elastic, too rubbery or whatever. Eight minutes until it's kind of a, a smooth, somewhat sticky dough. And then you can turn it out, tuck it into a nice tight ball, and then put it into a lightly oiled mixing bowl or whatever. Cover it with saran wrap and then let that proof at room temperature for an hour, hour and a half, whatever. I think I let mine run for about an hour and a half. It certainly doubled in size. And at that point, I put it in the fridge overnight and used it the following day. But once it's doubled in size, if you would like to, you can punch it down, tuck it into a nice tight ball, cut it in half with a bench scraper, and then let those two halves sit, rest, and kind of re-rise a little bit for 10 or 15 minutes. And then go ahead and make your pizza. You can do it that way. That's fine. So that's our pizza dough. It was fantastic. It was delicious. It was, had a nice uh, crumb to it. And uh, I have no complaints. Well, I guess let's get on to our um, spaghetti sauce. I mean, you can, or not spaghetti sauce, pizza sauce. You totally can just use like a store-bought canned jarred pizza sauce. I bought like, I got 20 Roma tomatoes, threw them into a pot, a little bit of water, brought those to a steamy simmer, and broke them up with a big mixing spoon boiled them and then pushed them through a sieve to remove the seeds and the skins. And then I reduced the resulting tomato puree uh, by about a quarter, added olive oil, salt, pepper, oregano. Oregano is your primary herbaceous flavor here. Uh, a lot of people, you know, want to go heavy on the basil. Basil's a little too sweet, has a little bit too much of a licorice taste to it. We will put a scant amount of basil in there, of course, and garlic. And then it's pretty much good to go. If you wanted to, you could give it a little turn of balsamic vinegar. It really depends on how how ripe the tomatoes are, the sugar content of the tomatoes. These mine, I, I don't know. Maybe it's tomato season in Mexico or Honduras or Guatemala or something. I don't know. But these tomatoes were super sweet, fantastic. So I didn't add any balsamic vinegar or anything like that. Just basic pizza sauce ingredients. And, you know, got it down to a consistency that of like, I don't know, like a thin ragu, I guess. Uh, something nice for this application. All right, now next, uh, mozzarella. I had such high hopes and I was doing so well, but then bada boom, 
bada bing. It failed at the last minute. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's still cheesy, still worked on the pizza. It just wasn't uh, stretchy and gooey and whatever. So to make mozzarella, what I'm doing is I'm following essentially like what is called a 30-minute mozzarella recipe. Uh, realistically, you can you can safeguard against the particular failure that I had by doing like a two-day mozzarella recipe where you ripen the milk by leaving it out at like room temperature to spoil essentially produces lactic acid and acidifies the milk that way you'll get a much more thorough acidification of the milk and that will result in a stretchy shiny uh, beautiful melty cheese the 30 minute recipes tend to lean on the addition of acid particularly citric acid in a solution of a couple tablespoons of water I didn't have citric acid, so I used um, my apple cider vinegar that I made. Problem with that is I don't know what the acid content is. I, I didn't test it with pH strips or a pH meter or anything like that. It was basically like, mm, this is vinegar. Easy, breezy, beautiful. We're good to go. But when it comes to something like this, I guess you need you do need to get it down to a, uh, a minimum slash maximum pH and by using an actual citric acid tablet dissolved in water, it's a lot more controllable, I suppose. So uh, let's talk about our uh, ingredients here. We're gonna be using uh, one gallon of milk, some, again, kosher salt, no mineral additives or, or um, contaminants or anything, it's just pure salt. Rennet, uh, I used the liquid rennet. You can use um, uh, rennet capsules, or not capsules, tablets, that's it. Citric acid, water, and some more water. Because <laughs> you need, you basically need water to um, dilute the rennet and water to dilute the, uh, the acid component. So what we're gonna do is start off with our milk in a large pot. And we are going to heat that milk until it reaches 90 degrees. And we'll, oh, you're, you're what, like a, um, a cheese making thermometer or some sort of thermometer that you can um, mount on the side of the pot or just something that's accurate also because temperature controls are very important. So you're gonna heat the milk very gently until it hits 90 degrees. Stir it the whole time so you don't get any milk solids stuck to the bottom of the pot. And then what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna dissolve the rennet into, what is it? Uh, into, I believe, a quarter of a cup of water. I'll have the, the recipe for this in there if you wanna uh, make this yourself. Mix the rennet into the water and then pour the water into the milk. Now you may be thinking, oh man, is that gonna water down the milk? Yes, it will. But what's gonna happen is the milk curdles and the milk solids kind of agglomerate together. They separate from the whey. Uh, all of the water from the milk is going to fall out of the, I don't know, is it an emulsion? Is it a suspension? I don't know. But it really doesn't matter. If you add some water to it, it's going to just be part of the water that you don't use at the end anyway. Okay, so, oh, I missed, I messed up. No, <laughs> so this is why my cheese didn't turn out. While you're heating your milk to 90 degrees, at that time, you're going to add the citric acid. You're going to acidify the milk during the heating phase. And for that, I believe you're going to dissolve the citric acid tablet in like three tablespoons of water, add that to the milk, stir it in. The milk will be slightly acidified. And then we will add the rennet, uh, rennet water, the rennet solution to the milk, cover the pot. I mean, you stir it very gently to make sure that you, that rennet gets completely dispersed in the milk and then cover the pot and let it sit there for five minutes. 
At this point, the heat is off because you reach 90 degrees. It'll hold that temperature for a little while. And the rennet will go to work curdling the milk. Now, after five minutes, take a look. If you have a cheese knife or just a long, straight knife, drag it you know, blade side across the surface and see if your milk has thickened and coagulated into a yogurt-like consistency. If it has, great, you can proceed. If it has not, cover it, let it sit for another five or 10 minutes. You know, it'll be fine. What's gonna happen is the, uh, the milk is going to coagulate. It's gonna curdle and you will be able to cut the curds, which is the next thing we're gonna do. You take the lid off with your cheese knife, which is just, I mean, it's basically like one of those cake icing spatulas, <laughs> but stainless steel, it's straight. It's not sharp, but it's, you know, flat, whatever cut a grid pattern into your curds and you want your your cheese knife to go all the way down to the bottom of the pot drag it across the bottom cut like it's like making a big tic-tac-toe board except not with three six not with nine compartments or nine squares but with a lot more roughly one inch on each axis of these squares of curds that you're cutting so cut that grid into there and then very gently what we're going to do is stir the curds, but without trying to not break them up. Like you don't want to turn this into cottage cheese. So what I do is I use a flat wooden spoon and I slide it down into one of the like horizontal lines near the edge of the pot, like where I cut that grid in there so that it's like nestling in between the curds and just bring it like, like you're stirring it around the outside of the pot to get all these curds kind of swirling in a whirlpool-like pattern. And you're going to very gently, you know, medium, between medium and medium high, warm these curds till they overtake the 90 degrees where they started and they go to 106 degrees. Again, all of this will be in the show notes. If you want to make mozzarella cheese, that's fine. If not, you can just grill a pizza and while you listen to this, right? <laughs> Once you reach uh, 106 degrees, what you want to do is you want to kill the heat, remove the pot from the heat. So like if you're doing a, on a gas stove or something like that, move it to a different grate so that, that that residual heat beneath it isn't continuing to raise the the temperature of the curds. This cooking step toughens the curds. It like uh, sets the proteins in the milk, I believe. And once it hits 106 degrees, 106 degrees, you remove it from the heat. You continue stirring very slowly and gently for another five minutes. And you're basically going to have separation of the curds and the whey. And the whey is going to be this kind of greenish yellow tinted thin liquid that your curds are all suspended in. And your curds, of course, are going to be these uh, shiny, fluffy cubes of curdled milk solids, essentially. It doesn't sound like the most appetizing thing in the world, uh, but the fact of the matter is cheese is a miracle food. It should be uh, repulsive. It should be putrid and rotting and disgusting, but it's not. It's delicious, and it's there are myriad flavors and textures. You can make cheese out of all sorts of milk, you know? So, uh, yeah, five minutes of additional stirring off the heat. Your curds will separate from the whey. And now we want to drain the curds. Drain the curds. It sounds like something that uh, Saddam Hussein would have said back in the 80s. We're going to drain the curds. That's pretty, that's pretty evil and dark. I'm sorry I said it. So now we're going to line a colander with cheesecloth. We're going to set that colander inside of a large bowl. And then using a ladle or specifically a cheese ladle, 
which would be like a flat ladle with a bunch of holes in it so that you can scoop the curds out of the way. Some of that liquid drains away, and then you deposit it into the cheesecloth lined colander so additional moisture will drip away from that. <sighs> Get the, uh, whatchamacallit, the curds. I'm sorry, I'm completely out of I'm, I'm fading fast here. It's like I got sundown. I'm fine during the day, and then this cold hits me hard at night, and it's just, it's hard to talk, it's hard to think, whatever. Anyway, so you, you're draining your curds five, ten minutes on the, uh, on the cheesecloth, just get the bulk of that, that moisture out of there. And now what we got to do is we have to essentially cook the curds one more time. And this is where the mozzarella magic happens. And uh, if, if everything goes correctly, then at, after this step, what we'll be able to do is stretch it, fold our mozzarella and get nice, shiny, soft, springy, delicious cheese. Or if your acid content isn't high enough, you get a very dense cheese curd-like uh, farmer's cheese, which, uh, hey, it was still okay. Still made it, made it a nice pizza, whatever. Don't at me, bro. So to do this, what we want to do is fill a large pot or a bowl with hot water and, or you can use the whey that you have left in the pot. I actually strained that through cheesecloth and used it. The reason is that it will reportedly will give your cheese a richer, creamier flavor because it's not like, like water is a universal solvent and it will pull stuff compounds out of the cheese. Like you put, you put the cheese into hot, pure water. Uh, when you remove it, that water will be a little bit cloudy, which means it has extracted some essence from the cheese. Whereas if you put it into the whey, well, the whey is already imbued with the essence of the cheese. So it's a... The worst case scenario is it's a two-way street where it takes some and it gives some, whatever. Best case scenario, it takes on some of that essence and becomes better. <laughs> so you want to heat that liquid up to 170 degrees and then deposit your mass of drained cheese curd into it. Now, what we're shooting for here is for the internal temperature of that cheese mass, uh, cheese mass to hit 135 degrees. So if you have a probe thermometer, that'd be super useful. Occasionally just stab it there and see how the influx of environmental heat is working on that mass of cheese. And once you hit 135 degrees, it's time to remove it from the hot whey or the hot water, add some salt, and then do the stretch and fold, okay? Now, I definitely, I got mine to 135 degrees, certainly. I was very gentle in the stirring process, certainly. And uh, guess what? Mine crumbled into dust. So what I did was <laughs> I packed it into a ball. I squeezed it nice and tight to get as much liquid out of it as possible. And then I molded it into a nice round ball, sliced it up the same way I would a ball of mozzarella, and then seasoned it with things like salt, pepper, oregano, maybe a little garlic. I don't know. I don't remember if I put garlic on it or not. Uh, and I threw it in the fridge. And we used it on the pizza. But um, if you if you do the acid step correctly, then you'll have this shiny, like it looks like a mass of melted cheese and it's stretchy and you can do that, you know, stretch it and fold it over on itself, 
five, six, seven times. Not too much more than that because you don't want it to turn into to rubber. So you get that all stretched out, then you want to cool it down. What you can do is um, you can put it in some cool water into the fridge. You can prior, uh, prior to doing this, like while you're heating that to 170 degrees, the water, you can take some of the whey and put that into like a nice shallow bowl and put that in the fridge so it cools down. And then, you know, you form your mozzarella into a ball. This will be a few minutes later. And then put it into that whey or the water, keep it in the fridge so it cools down. Bada boom, bada bing. You got yourself some mozzarella. Now, in terms of making our pizza, I did say that we were grilling a pizza. Why? Because I thought it'd be more interesting than baking it. And honestly, it was. It was fun. It, it's been a nice week weather-wise. So I got out there and I, you know, slang a pizza on a grill. Now, probably don't want to throw it directly on the grill grates, especially with a homemade dough that'll just sink right through there. Luckily, I do have a pizza stone. Normally, it just lives in our oven. But I noticed that it is about perfect dimensions to fit on top of the grate inside of a Weber kettle grill. So that's what I did. Lots of charcoal in the bottle, the bottom of the of the grill. I used two chimneys of charcoal because I wanted uh, I wanted it to be hot. Number one, I want the heat to be persistent. Number two, like I want it to be strong heat with lots of momentum. You know, so that when I take the lid off to check on it, when I return the lid, uh, the heat rebounds quickly. Okay, that actually didn't work too good either. Uh, when I checked the, te you'll see this in the uh, photographs on the Imager album. When I checked the temperature of the lid of the grill initially, it was like 571 degrees. But then when I removed the lid and deposited our pizza into the grill and then returned the lid on it after a couple of minutes, it was only back up to like 280 degrees. So I don't know if I didn't have good airflow into the, the charcoal or not. But I kind of cracked the lid off of the base a little bit to give it some airflow and to heat up that charcoal again. And that seemed to work because we got back up to about 500 degrees. Now, a lot of times with a pizza, well, the purpose of a pizza stone is that to preheat it, to have it like in the oven or in your pizza oven or whatever and get it nice and hot. And then using a pizza peel, slide your pizza onto the hot stone. Well, Maybe it's because I'm not feeling too good. Maybe it's because uh, I'm kind of 50-50 on slide the pizza off of a pizza peel because we're not a huge fan of like the cornmeal texture on the bottom of a pizza. So I'll use like regular flour, but then depending on how hydrated the dough is, yada, 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 sometimes the whole thing just kind of sludges over to one side. Long story short, I basically built the pizza directly on top of the pizza stone in the kitchen and then put the whole thing on the grill. Rationalization for that. Here it is. We want the dome of the grill to be really hot and cook the pizza like from the top down because even though, so whenever you put it onto a hot pizza stone, you have the heat penetrating up through the crust, like baking the crust and moving up through the body of the pizza. But then you also have a very hot mass of air over top that's cooking the toppings, singeing the pepperoni, melting the cheese and all that. That's fine. Because this is on a grill and the, uh, the pizza stone is an inch from the hot coals, my thought was once that heat penetrates the pizza stone, it is going to scorch that, the bottom of that crust very quickly. It's going to be very, very hot. It's not like preheating your oven to 500 degrees 
and having your pizza stone in there, it's like, I mean, that, that charcoal fire is probably in excess of 700 degrees. So we want a little bit of a delay on cooking the bottom of the crust so that the, the dome of the grill can accumulate hot air and uh, we'll cook some of the top of the, the pizza first. And then once that heat has penetrated the stone, it'll very quickly cook the bottom. And I mean, for the most part, it worked fine. The cheese, unfortunately, was uh, very dry and crumbly because of the aforementioned acid issue. So it didn't get real melty, but it did brown nicely and have a real nice like cheese curd, almost squeaky texture to it. That was cool. About a minute from removing the pizza from the grill, I had uh, fresh uh, basil leaves and fresh chopped oregano that I kind of just scattered across the top so that the the heat in that last minute would wilt and singe the herb leaves. And that turned out fantastic. It looked very uh, rustic and delicious. And it tasted very rustic and delicious. I mean, I, I ate some of it last night. I can attest to the fact that it was pizza. As a matter of fact, it was uh, a decent pizza. Not the, not the worst pizza I've ever had in my life. <laughs> despite, the, despite the cheese issue, it was very good. But that's it. I mean, try, I mean think about that. Uh, your grill... Yes, it is a source of direct bottom heat, like the stovetop, but it does have a lid, and it can act as an oven. It can act as a smoker. If you put a flat surface on it, like they have a cast iron like griddle top so you can put on there and turn it into a hibachi, you know, there's a lot of um, variability. You know, it, it's, it's fire, it's outside. And it's whatever size you choose for it to be. So it's very versatile. But it was cool. You know, I was thinking whenever I was making this, a lot of podcasts I listen to are sponsored by Uni Pizza Ovens. And my podcast is not sponsored by Uni Pizza Ovens. But, man, every time I hear those ads for Uni, this is these little, like, portable or porch-based pizza ovens that can run on, like, gas, uh, wood, charcoal, some of them are multi-fuel, whatever... But it's a pizza oven. It gets real hot inside of a little tunnel or whatever. You slide your pizza in there. You give it a couple of minutes. Bada boom, bada bing. You slide it out. You have pizza. And I was thinking, man, this would be so awesome. Like, I should totally have one of these, like, pizza ovens on the porch. But then I was thinking, like, as it is now, I probably eat pizza five or six times a year. And if I had, like, a pizza machine, a pizza, I mean, essentially a vending machine for pizza. Yes, I know. You got to make the dough. You got to dress the pizza. You got to do all. It's not... You know, it's not a vending machine, but I mean, I made, I made the dough, I made the sauce, I made the cheese, I make things homemade. It takes forever. That is essentially a pizza vending machine. <laughs> anyway, so if I get one of those things, I weighed five, 500 pounds. So I'm not going to, I'll just cook it on the grill and it worked great. It was, it was fantastic. It was really good. I was very happy with it. I should have been eating chicken soup and, and ginger ale, but you know, we do, we do what we got to do. So that's it. Uh, really, I mean, you, you know you know how pizza is. You know what that is. This is basically a stealth way to introduce a, a pizza dough recipe. Um, the process for making mozzarella, even if I didn't do it correctly. I mean, I did it correctly. I just had a variable that I couldn't account for. I didn't have any pH test strips or anything like that. 
And yeah, and the sauce. I mean, pizza sauce, I don't really have the recipe for the sauce. It's the tomatoes, and then once it's done, once it's the texture and consistency that you want, you add a bunch of olive oil to it, you hit it with some salt, pepper, oregano, garlic, tiny little bit of basil. And if your tomatoes aren't super sweet, give it a little turn right across the top, like a little glug, glug, glug of balsamic vinegar. Heat that up, get everything incorporated, kill the heat, let it settle down. It'll be nice and thick and delicious. And it was fantastic. But that is it. That is it this week. Uh, grilled pizza, homemade dough, homemade mozzarella, homemade sauce. Uh, yeah. Uh, make it, don't make it, whatever. I hope you guys feel good. Hope you eat good. Have a great week. I'll talk to you next week.